Hello, Young Money Simplified listeners, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Thank you very, very much for tuning in. Today, we have a very special guest on, and his name is Larry Zolab. Larry is an entrepreneur. Recently, he just launched a digital networking and peer coaching support platform called Upmarket. You guys can visit that in the description below and check it out. Larry has worked at many corporate firms, such as Warner Brothers, Johnson & Johnson, and many, many more. On this episode, he talks about many, many things, including what he looks for when he hires people, how to stay productive, how you can succeed as an entrepreneur, and much, much more. Thank you very, very much for tuning in, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hello, Young Money Simplified listeners, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Today, I bring on a very special guest, and his name is Larry Zolab. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I would like it if you can begin and explain um, what you do and who you are. So a little bit about my background. So right now, I'll start with what I'm doing presently to pay the bills, because uh, we need to do that, um, even though I'm in the entrepreneurship space. I teach. So I teach uh, business courses at Humber College here in Toronto, and then I also teach out west online for a school called Royal Roads University. So I teach undergrad marketing and rapid prototyping, and I teach MBA marketing as well. And so that's how I pay my bills, but my, my passion gig, well, teaching is also a passion as well. Um, but my main gig that I'm focusing on now that really connects strongly to my future is I'm, I've started a tech company that's called ZDoc Digital Corp. And it's the parent company of a web app that I have just launched and it's called Upmarket. And it is a career community and networking app. And it's also an e-commerce marketplace where people can seek, um, seek help, provide help, network, um, and also possibly make some money doing it if they qualify. So that I'm just in the middle of launching right now. It's my passion project. I've been thinking about it for about four years and I finally got it done. Congrats. Congratulations. Thank you. It's very well done. And, um, how did you go about starting it? Because many people have, you know, fears and doubts and negative influences and just all of this energy and people telling them, no, don't do it while they want to do it. How did you overcome all of that in the, in the beginning? Well, the big picture is time. It, it really took time. And I think if I had one regret, it's just that it took me so long to really get down to it because the idea came to me about five years ago. So the rest of my background is pretty standard and corporate. So I'm middle-aged, I'm generation X and I have you know, an undergrad degree an MBA from the university of North Carolina. And then I went into the corporate world. So I did some banking um, with Scotiabank uh, in the Caribbean actually it was a really cool experience. I worked in the U S for Johnson and Johnson in marketing. And then I worked for Warner Brothers when I returned to Toronto, which was also a really cool job. But I always had these sort of entrepreneurial aspirations. And I took on entrepreneurial roles in the corporate environment. And so I always kind of had that passion. And then when I finally left corporate, and one of the first things we do is we go out and we network and we try to expand our network and we try to learn and we try to meet people and really see what's going on and, and what are people's experiences and what can I learn from that. And so one of the first things I did was, of course, go on LinkedIn. And of course, the startup space is pretty active in Toronto, where I'm at. 
And I looked at some of the networking platforms that were around at the time, different apps that were coming out. And I felt like I was having, for some reason, not a fully satisfying experience. Networking can be really frustrating. And so you have to ask yourself, is it me? Is it the people I'm networking with? Obviously some really good experiences, but not, not enough of them. And so, you know, I thought about myself and then I also thought about how would I build a networking platform differently? And so for fun, I sat in a cafe for like three days and hammered out a 10, 10 page business plan, which ended up being exactly what I built like four or five years later. But you know, to the point of like fear or different things that get in your way. And partially because I'm just, a, you know, I'm just crackers. Sometimes I wrote this business plan and I looked at it and I thought, Oh, that's really cool. And then I just filed it on my computer and I was like, well, that was a fun brain exercise. Let me go see what else is out there. What other people are doing because it was the first thing I thought about. <laughs> and it was not until about three years later, maybe two years ago, I guess, almost two years ago that the things I was doing in the entrepreneurship space were not getting traction and not really satisfying to me. And so I was reading the news one day, I think it was beta kit or something. And I was reading about some of the apps that were sort of like what I was doing, but maybe in a different space and they were getting an incredible amount of funding and I was downloading the apps and I was like, okay, these are like decent apps, but if they can do it, why can't I? So I literally just snapped at that moment and I dusted off like that business plan and I went, holy crap, this is still a valid idea. I'm totally going to go do this. So it was one of those where it took me a while to catch on that I really had an awesome business idea or I definitely think I do. And part of the fear comes from we know what we don't know and then we don't know what we don't know. Right. So there's all the things we don't know, whether we're conscious of it or not conscious of it kind of hold us back. And I have a lot of pretty decent technical knowledge, but the app I wanted to build was pretty expensive and pretty robust. It has a lot of features. It does a lot of things. It's not your basic MVP. So the other delay was me getting over myself, but having the confidence and building the knowledge to be able to hire the right technical partner. Cause if you're not a coder or developer yourself, and you're just a guy who's like a marketer and maybe a smart business person, how do you find the right people to partner with? And that process took me a year. There's a lot of people out there willing to build your app, but I wanted a lot more than that. I wanted almost like partners um, and people who were super, super passionate about my app. And it took me a year to find that. We signed the contract about a year ago and we were actually ready to launch it the day that COVID hit the fan, like it was March 13th. That's the day we went live and that's when COVID hit. So I had to like back off for a couple of months again because I didn't want to launch it in the middle of all that chaos. So a lot of different obstacles, some of them are real. Some of them are just self-inflicted because of these stories you tell yourself in, in your head. And some of it is just pure caution sometimes that you have, but eventually something will happen environmentally or inside you and you'll just snap and that'll provide the impetus and you'll just be like, okay, it's time to go now. And that's when I became committed. And when you were going to choose a partner, what, what criteria were you necessarily looking for that were like the big criteria like you had to cross off your list or you had to check mark just to make that's sure a, that that person fit those. Yeah, that's a really good question. And 
I had some rough criteria in my head, but then was trying to keep open-minded about the rest. But definitely I wanted somebody who's really passionate about my project. So they wanted to see themselves. They didn't want to just make some money by building an app. They really felt passionate about what I was doing so that there would be some degree of commitment to it without me having to issue them shares. So I didn't issue them shares. Um, but we built in some other incentives into the contract because I didn't want them to build it and then go away. And then I have to figure out all the hosting and the maintenance and all that sort of stuff. So I really thought long-term. So don't just have somebody build it and then take off. And the other, there's a really big lesson that I learned in the process, which I kind of knew in the back of my head, but this wasn't one of the criteria that was in the forefront. You have to get over the idea of trying to do things necessarily cheaply because you know how they say you get what you pay for. If you really try to economize, you're going to be disappointed with the final product. And so the first few people that I talked to, I was really trying to build it more on the cheap and save some money. And thank God I didn't go forward with those opportunities. I sensed there was something wrong because it was a big financial commitment. And I ended up just biting the bullet and saying, no, you know what, this is going to cost me. And I need some people that are really competent, um, that believe in what I'm doing and uh and really want to be a part of it so that was a big big part of it and the rest of it is if you don't have the technical knowledge it re at least really scope them out as much as you can as people like checking out like their values what can you learn about them just like what employers do right like they check you out on social media and stuff like that try to get a sense of what type of people you are and then um, also check out the company as well so the company even though it was a startup um, originated out of silicon valley they're called Stylif inc or style of tech, because I think they're their brand name. And they won some startup awards in Silicon Valley, and then they expanded into Canada and Europe and all kinds of different places. And they were getting a lot of good press and a lot of good PR, and they were passionate about my project. The other thing that did happen though, and this doesn't really relate to criteria, but sort of, when I had no idea how to go about building an app, I've built digital products before, like websites and stuff like that, tons of times as a marketer, as a part of my career. But I was like, how do I take all this information in my head and spill it out into a document or something and get it into your head so you know exactly what you need to build? And I was really surprised that there's no standard formula to be able to do that. You have to figure it out with every partner that you have. And there's a lot that can get lost in the translation. So if anybody knows me, I'm highly conscientious. I'm very right brain, left brain. I'm creative and hopefully a visionary, but I'm also very specific and technical. And I have like a math degree. My undergrad was in business and math. So I ended up producing, because I thought this was normal. I ended up producing, I think, something like 80 pages of specifications on what to build. Like user flows, uh, right down to what are the fields I wanted? Would they be drop down, radio button? You know, would it be text input? Like I had such ridiculous specifications that you know, it almost became a bit of a criteria that that I wanted a dev partner that looked at that and saw that as a real positive in terms of the thinking I put into it. Some people were overwhelmed by it. The dev partner I chose, they were like, their words to me was, um, we have built products before for executives of tech companies and we have not seen specs this good ever in our life. And so that was really helpful in taking the guesswork out of it. And they were able to structure an arrangement with me where normally when you build an app, oftentimes you don't get a fixed price. They just go, it's 75 or hundred bucks an hour or whatever until we're done. 
And so you could end up paying a lot of money. So like having it get out of control and cost you twice what you thought it was going to make. I, or B, I didn't have that kind of money. So to be able to also find a partner that appreciated all the thinking I brought to the table and really wanted to have a solid collab. And then like anything, whether you're picking a life partner, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, uh, a company that you want to work with or where you want to go to school, you do a lot of discipline research that's technical, right? You have your criteria, but your gut plays a big role. Like you're sitting there with these people and you're like, I want to work with these people. Like that's sort of the icing on the cake. You're just like, I can see myself building a relationship with these people. And that's part of what did it. And so far from what you've seen and from what you've um, accomplished and are going to accomplish later on, what would you say um, will, has helped succeed the most? And what do you think will help you succeed the most later on in the future as an entrepreneur? As an entrepreneur, um, I, th I think the biggest thing, and this relates to my teaching as well, because I teach a lot of different business classes, but marketing is my core focus. And one of the things I try to accomplish if, I'm, if my students are only going to be um, exposed to the marketing side of entrepreneurship, but it applies to beyond marketing, is to have what I call a borderline unhealthy um, obsession with your customer. So borderline unhealthy. So still a healthy obsession, but it's more than a curiosity. It's you have to have a super big passion to understand your customer. First, identify them and know who they are. There is no app or product that is intentionally marketed to everybody. So there is a target that you're going after. Know your target. Know them more than just a demographic profile. Know their emotions. Know their pain points and know them so well that you've figured out what their journey is in terms of solving a problem or completing a task. Cause that's usually what like for an app, right? This is not all entrepreneur things, but things where you're delivering some kind of functional and technical product, you have to figure out how to add value for them. And if you don't know them and if you don't know their journey, cause we study customer journeys. And if you're not super passionate about that and continuing to learn, you'll just throw out ideas and, and try to figure out how to make it work you know, or, or you just throw out products and you won't actually build something that is trying to solve an actual problem or meet a specific need. So that is for me, the very first thing that sits at the top. And so that's common to marketing, entrepreneurship, a lot of different things. Um, the customer really is, is at the core. And then the other parts of it that I think that work for, in terms of my skill set, I don't have a complete skill set. So that's something we have to think of as entrepreneurs is what are our gaps and how do we fill those gaps of knowledge and expertise is a big part of it. But in terms of what I bring to the table is, you know, if we are all to say, a lot of us, you know, believe that we all have some kind of superpower of some kind. And my superpower is mastering complexity. So that's been pointed out to me. Those words were used in many of the performance appraisals that I've been given um, in the past. And what that means is I can take a very, very, very complex environment and I can simplify it because the way I see business, this is my oversimplified view of business. And that applies to so many things in business. It's whatever situation you're in, whether you're sitting down and you're like, I don't even have a product idea. So I'm at the very beginning of the process, or you join a company that's an, an entrepreneurship or you join a larger company, you enter that situation. You have to analyze everything that's going on and decide what you need to do next. 
And that's how I oversimplify business in almost every situation. And sometimes it's very easy to figure that out. Sometimes it's prescribed for you. So if you are like just graduated and you're like an assistant manager of some company, well, you have a boss that's telling you every day what they need you to do. But if you're an entrepreneur, it's white space. It's, you know, you've got to figure that out. So you've got to make very complex decisions um, where nobody has the answer for you and you're balancing qualitative and empirical quantitative stuff. Um, and that's very difficult to do. And you have to find the solution and you have to find the opening. And then the third thing now I would say is um, I'm a very committed individual. Once I start something and, and my brain is locked in, I go. So it's sure you're going to have up and down days where you're going to have fears, you're going to have worries, you're going to have doubts. But when I set my mind, you know, on a goal, I'm committed I meet deadlines, I make stuff happen, and you have to be super driven and super willing to overcome obstacles to achieve your goals because you rarely have things set up perfectly for you to naturally get success. You have to do something to cause it. So I think those are the things that I bring to the table the most that give me the best chance to be successful. And you, met, you just mentioned um, the fact that you're very committed to something once you start it and usually write it out. But for those people who have difficulties um, sticking to the hard days and, and just doing the tough, the tough things that you have to do to get the project going and started, how did you manage to stay productive every day, every week, every month? Well, the first thing is you can allow yourself a little bit of time to be maybe bummed out or something, you know, like maybe you're having a down day. Um, so you have to cut yourself a break sometimes like, you know, you might have a longer term goal where I want to get this done at the end of the month and you can't beat yourself up if you're having sort of a really bad day and your brain is not firing or maybe your motivation is low. So, so there's two types of sort of, um, things that get in your way. It's sort of that day to day up and down. And one of the things that I just heard somebody say, there's a podcast I was listening to um, from Harvard, actually, it's called uh, FOMO Sapiens. And so I was listening to this podcast and there was a guest speaker on it. And you know, sometimes people say things and they just, it's stuff you've heard before, but they just say it in a way that it resonates with you. And she said, you know, you just have to accept that the journey is really messy and you just have to come to terms with that. And that was really big for me because I came from a very stiff corporate environment where they always had this expression. You have to be buttoned up. You have to be perfect every day. And I felt a lot of pressure because of that, because some days you're a little bit off. Some days I could become on this podcast tomorrow and be completely incoherent. Right. And you have to, or maybe I am right now. I'm not really sure, but you have to sort of cut yourself a break. Sometimes you have to accept your imperfections, but then still be committed to that long-term goal. And if you're not committed to um, the goal overall, then you have to stop and I think do some bigger analyzing and, and, and understand why that is. Is that because you truly don't have a confidence that you can do it? Is it because you're not passionate about it? Is it because some people just really don't have the drive? And I hate using this term because it's got such a negative connotation, but maybe it's the work ethic or something. Some people just don't have it in them to put that work in. And so that doesn't mean you have to judge people because of that, but there's a big part of this whole journey that is about self-awareness. And I teach organizational behavior right now this summer. So I'm teaching uh, one class of it to first years at Humber and I have three sections of it. And it's really awesome because a big part of it is 
learning about yourself and learning about individual people and their motivations and, and what causes a lack of motivation and what can you do about it. But a part of it is just accepting that I don't want to call it a fault, but maybe you have some limitations in some areas. So you have to do a lot of soul searching personally to uncover the bigger picture reasons of what's holding you back and seek input from others and get, you know, not from friends who are there to just necessarily tell you what you want to hear. You want to get some doses of realness from some really close friends who will tell you about yourself. And sometimes just that knowledge is power. And then when you say out loud, I have this limitation, then suddenly that's a path to you starting to accept it and then take the steps to overcome it. I was reading um, Principles by Ray Dalio and one of the principles was once you identify a problem, don't tolerate it. And I think that um, relates very well to the last uh, few things that you said, which is... It's, it's true, but I'll, I'll add something to that is in another expression that you hear, and this was actually on my 30th birthday, which was a while ago. I didn't have a good 30th birthday, and it was when I actually started to change my life and do some different things. So it just happened on that milestone, but I did make a commitment to myself after I was like just depressed for a couple of days. And it was, and I didn't invent this. I mean, you hear this from other people, but it's, um, you know, accept the things you cannot change and change the things you can't. So that's the idea, right? So sometimes there's a problem or an obstacle. Sometimes you're going to have to tolerate it because you really can't do anything about it. And there are such situations. For those who want to begin marketing online and taking their business online and doing a whole marketing project, what should they know beforehand and what should they expect? They should expect... So we're, we're talking about, I guess, a situation that's a startup, like they're just like, it's a stage I'm in right now, literally, because it's not that long ago, we're talking weeks that my app went live. So here's a couple of really early learnings for the beginning, because and it's some of it I anticipated, but some of it, um, maybe I sort of anticipated, but it's really sort of hitting home. And one of the things is, uh, we don't become an overnight success overnight. <laughs> You know, so a lot of the apps that we use, if you're not in the startup space, so a lot of the apps that we come across and we use have usually been out there for a year, two years, three years. So they've gone through a bit of an iteration and a bit of a life cycle. So, you know, make sure you don't have the illusion that it's like, oh, my app is live or my website is live. And so people are going to come rushing to it. So that is definitely a part of it, although it can happen, right? All it takes, things happen in tipping points. So things go really, really slowly. And I was just having this conversation with my nephew because with COVID and everything, he just graduated from a program in Manitoba and he's trying to figure his life out. So he ended up um, with a bunch of friends. They started an apparel company. It's called Orbit Apparel. And they're doing really well. So they've been out, I don't know, let's say a little more than a year, maybe closer to two years. And so they get a few orders and they, they produce this. It's like urban streetwear, you know, they designed it and came out with it. But then all of a sudden, and I don't know who it is because I don't circulate in this space, some rapper caught wind of their stuff and like put it on his um, social media page. And they went from something like, I don't know, it was something like 1500 followers on Insta because they now have 33,000. And that, so things happen, not at like a steady 
pace. So it's not like you're going to get like a, a hundred or a thousand or 10 or one new users a day. And it's that number every day. It's like you go in stages, you get like nothing for the first few weeks. And then all of a sudden a whole bunch of people are interested. So you have to sort of have that appetite. And the other thing that I thought about, and this goes back to like a, a marketing saying that we have in more corporate marketing, but so many things do apply to um, the tech space. And we have this belief that you can only launch a product once. Now that's not entirely true, but the point is when you launch a product, make sure it's in the state that you want. Um, make sure that maybe you've gone through beta and you've got your sort of customer base that has given you some early feedback. So that now when you're communicating to everybody in your network and, and telling everybody about it, like the people you really want to help you, you want a little bit of momentum so that they'll jump in on it and say, oh, it looks like things are going pretty well. It's not just completely the ground floor. And then they're a little bit more interested in it. So to be honest, um, I've been out there for a little bit already. I have not even, rightly or wrongly, just the way I'm doing it, I have not posted even on Facebook that this app exists. Like, I mean, it's in my profile and it's certainly in my LinkedIn profile. I have not posted on Insta. Um, I'm just feeling around and I'm, you know, getting feedback from some individuals and stuff like that because I also want to, because I have a pretty reasonably powerful network because I'm old, um, that when they see it for the first time, I want them to feel a bit like it's a thing because, you know, there's a lot of people like in the tech space, your closest friends, they're with you right from the beginning. But then there's different reactions from like the next group of friends. Like you launch this app and they're like, oh, that's a really cute little app project. Good luck with that. You know, they're giving you the basic like thumbs up, pat you on the back, good luck, but they're not really engaged. But when those people hear about it the first time and they, and they see that it's kind of a thing and it's going somewhere, then there could be a lot of positive energy that can happen pretty quickly with your innermost network. So I'm being really selective um, about the process. And then I, the third thing is, I'm just a big fan of saying, be confident in your product, like really be confident in and be able to talk about your product um, in terms of what are the value that, that you're bringing to people um, so that people get it. So it takes us a while and I'm still getting better at it, learning how to talk about my product because we all have to turn ourselves into salespeople. But make sure you've got something really good that you're happy with that is either solving problems or adding values somehow to people's lives. You you mentioned um, your first group of people, your close friends who um, will help you along the way, but then when you put the product out there, you have your second group of people that will see it and might just give you a thumbs up. How do you take criticism from those people that um, aren't necessarily nearest to you? Like oh my God, that's an amazing question because this also connects to the, uh, one of the questions you asked me previous is, you know, when you're launching a product, um, you, there's four different types of reactions you're going to get and they could come from anybody. So the first one is, two are positive, two are kind of negative. So one is, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to tell everybody about it. I'm here to support you. The second one is, oh, you know, like on Facebook, they give you the thumbs up. They just tick the box, right? They give you the like, oh, good luck. You know, just general positive vibes. The third group is like, um, doesn't say anything, right? They're just non-responsive. They're not engaged. Like they don't really care. And then the fourth group is negative. 
Um, and I haven't got much of that, but I've gotten a couple of those, right? So you have to be careful how much you talk about stuff because the negativity comes in one and it could come from anybody, even people you think are going to be supportive. I haven't gotten a lot, but the negativity is, is either in the form of, can you please not always be talking about your app? Like I'm getting annoyed here, right? Like, so you can kind of feel that sort of energy and that vibe. And then the other, maybe it's not so much negativity, but it's, um, it, it is criticism, right? So they'll start to tell you things that they don't like about the app. And, you know, I haven't gotten much of that, but what you have to realize, and again, a lot of people in my network are from corporate. So they're used to building products with a $500,000 budget. Cause I also worked in the United States. So budgets were huge for a lot of things. So they're not used to what the normal life cycle is for a digital product or a digital platform in the entrepreneurship space. They don't know the concept of an MVP, what an MVP looks like. Um, my app is actually pretty smooth and pretty slick, but there's like one or two tiny little bugs that don't affect anything in terms of the app's performance. Like a random error code will pop up sometimes and we can't diagnose it and we can't fix it. Well, maybe they'll make a big deal about that, right? But that's pretty common in the first few weeks of an app or the first few months of an app. So you have to take it with a grain of salt. And you don't know people's motivations, but sometimes there's also, especially in sort of this COVID environment, there could be, and I don't know, but there could be some jealousy at play. Because the truth is right now I'm living my dream. So my personal mission that I'm very open about, it's not an innovative mission, but it's very personal to me and it's why I teach, it's why I run meetup groups, it's why I blog, it's why I'm launching this app is to empower current and future generations to succeed professionally. That's why I get up in the morning. So I'm careful about not shoving that in a lot of people's faces and, and try to signify like publicly in social media, I am living my dream. I'm not making tons of money right now but I'm totally happy. I'm doing what I've always wanted to do. So that energy does show through a little bit. And there are a lot of people my age who have a lot of regrets with some of the chances that they did not take in their life. And that plays in the background as well. So there's, there's, you know, there's motivation sometimes that can come with the criticism and the best response to that also is to be empathetic and, and to say, you know what, sometimes criticism is rooted in some people's unhappiness. When hiring and planning to bring someone on to your company or any of the companies that you've worked for, what do you look for in that person? I think actually what, you know, and I wrote a blog post on this that applies from my perspective and also applies from the applicant's perspective. And in my simple mind, this is where I try to take things that are super complicated and make them simple. And for me, it's, there are only three job interview questions that people are trying to answer either consciously or subconsciously. So one of them is, um, why us? Why do you want to work for us? So that's a big part of it. Um, why should we hire you? So what do you bring to the table? And can I see myself working with you? That third one is a dangerous one because we have to be careful you know, that it doesn't take us away from the path of hiring for diversity because it's also really important to want to hire people who are very different from you um, and not just people who are like you. So I, I make that caveat to say, can I see myself working with you? But you could certainly be nothing like me. So and that's that's something I definitely look for. So 
in general, in terms of an overall employee base, I want a diversity of skill sets and I want diversity across every dimension. It's not just about a coat of paint. It's not about, you know, everybody needs to look different. It's like, I want different thought patterns, um, different backgrounds, just different things to the table. Because honestly, if we really want to transform and we want to have new thinking, the only way to get there is to challenge yourself by hiring people who are just a really cool mix, but can also integrate with each other. So that's from an overall perspective. But there needs to be some commonalities between them. And the first one for me is a certain amount of drive and what I call there's different terms for it um, conscientiousness is one of them results orientation is the way I talk about it in my blog so that's one of the first things that I look for is are you somebody that gets stuff done because one of the problems that I've had in you know that I've noticed and frustrations that I've had is you know this whole concept of ghosting well we do this in the business world a lot like when we no longer see the value of that person in our life at that moment um, we just ghost them and we don't tell them that there's no reason for us to continue talking we just stop answering their emails or whatever and if you're like that in any way in the workplace that's not really sort of what I stand for and I also want somebody we all want somebody that we can depend on so think if you've ever has anybody ever been a supervisor and I ask my classes this right where you know, um, as employees, as the lowest level people, we want our bosses to be a, a little bit more accommodating, you know, when we have obstacles and challenges and stuff like that. But what ends up happening is once you're in a supervisory role, and I asked my classes this, I said, have you ever caught yourself thinking to some of your teams, it's like, why can't I just ask them to do something? And could they please just do it and get it done? Because it just gets exhausting having to deal with maybe stuff not getting done. So people who have a bias to just finding a way to get stuff done or coming to you proactively to signal that maybe there's going to be an issue or something like that. So the way people work is, um, is really important. That doesn't mean you have to get everything done and meet every deadline because things really do happen. Right. And, but we can't have that happen too often. And then the other part of it, which leads to those three questions about what I'm trying to uncover is, you know, are you just somebody who is really interested in this role? So when I worked at Warner, Warner Brothers, I hired a lot of people when I worked there. As you can imagine, people would want to work for Warner Brothers. So every time we would put advertise for a role, I, we would get, I don't know, like 800 applicants. It doesn't matter what the job was. So of course, it'd be really cool to work for Warner Brothers. But some of them would come through recruiters and headhunters. And I finally had to tell them, it's like, I'm trying to figure out why they want to work here. And if one more person tells me they want to work at Warner Brothers because they love movies, I'm going to scream because that's not the reason to work for a company. You know, you, you, that's not your criteria. Number one, you're not going to sit around and watch movies all day. Right. So it's sort of like I would question them, like, why do you want this job? And I found that really frustrating. So when somebody could give me a great answer about why this role this company fit into their plans then it's not I just need a job it's I want to work here and then suddenly I'm more inspired can you tell us some of those examples that um, you've heard that were like wow like clearly this person really wants to work here um let me think because I've held you know, so many, well, actually I've, I've kind of had that happen with my app, even though I haven't hired people yet. So through my networking process, um, you know, I just 
met different people where I'm promoting the app or I'm on other networking platforms or I'm just out there meeting people. And I've had some really inspirational conversations. I love talking to younger people because I love to learn from them, right? Like I need to see the world through their eyes because I want to make sure I build a company that they want. Um, and I'm also serving them as customers. So I love interacting with um, university students and, and, you know, younger professionals. And so I've had recent success with that just because hopefully you can tell I'm pretty passionate about what I do. I'm super excited about my app, not, not just because I built it, because I really believe in its purpose. And I guess that shows. And so I've also tapped into and maybe inspired some people who um, were, were also very passionate themselves about the kind of work that I'm doing. So I've actually had, without hiring people, just people who've come to me and say, I want to collab with you. I want to, um, I know you can't hire and pay me right now, but I'd love to maybe help you as a part of the networking process and maybe do some work for you as long as it's flexible and not too time demanding. Um, because this is what I feel about your app. I love the mission behind your app. And I really think, because my app, one of the things it delivers is many things it delivers, but it's peer coaching and peer support and the opportunity to make money doing it. Um, mental health is a big issue that's out there right now. So there are places to get professional mental health support, but my research has told me that there's some value in getting some mental health support also from a peer, like a friend, maybe somebody who's been through it. And so my platform could be very beneficial that way. So I have a lot of, of supportive and inclusive dimensions about my app that has really sparked some interest in people. And um, I've got a handful of people who are just going to help me and we'll see where that goodwill takes us um, because they were just very inspired about what I'm trying to do. Oh, that's, that's very nice. And if you were able to look back onto your university self, your 18, 20, 21, 22 year old self, what mm -hmm. would you tell yourself and what advice would you give yourself? Oh my God, how much time do you have? I have, a, I have a lot of things, but there's a few things that bubble to the surface, you know, when you ask that question. And one of them relates to, and I don't know if this will come out of my mouth properly in the way that it's going on in my head, but it's about, we have to figure out, and this is going to be a part of my mission someday as well. We have to figure out how to know ourselves so that we can figure out what are the right careers for us. Now, this is not like a novel thing, like I'm the first person to bring this up, but there really aren't very good tools out there to really point us in the right direction. Like there's guidance counselors, there's some online tools, there's different things. The marketplace, the world, the universe um, has to help us in part figure out how to find our passions and there's ways to do that, but also figure out what we're cut out for based on our personality, based on our work style, based on our habits, like things like I like to work at night versus working in the morning, you know, I like to work with people versus not, but taking all those types of questions and personality tests, and they do exist out there. And there's one I saw like five or six years ago, and I didn't bookmark it, but it was one of the best ones for me in terms of being insightful. And, you know, we just don't know ourselves. Like, for example, um, so I teach a lot of marketing. In most cases, not all, marketing is a very social profession. And when I worked at Johnson & Johnson in the US, now the US is much more type A, you know, in the workplace and everything, but it was almost a requirement. They had an expression, we wanna hire people who will take the hill, meaning 
they will get in front of a problem, they will stand up and lead a group, and they'll be very visible and very vocal. However, a lot of people that I talk to and mentor and coach, and this is not necessarily a bad thing, and part of this problem is that the world hasn't figured out how to work with them, but there's a lot of introverts that go into marketing, you know, and they're frustrated because they're not getting jobs. And, and it may not necessarily be because of this, but I have this conversation with them. You know, this is a very extroverted profession. And they're like, yeah, but that's not really me. And so that doesn't mean they have no future by any stretch, right? And in fact, it's an important part of diversity where I want organizations to be able to harvest the talent better of introverts. You know, I talk a lot, but I'm an introvert. So just because people don't talk a lot and they're like not super, super social, that doesn't mean they're not intelligent and they can't transform your organization. So we have work to do as far as that goes. However, the current conditions are you'll probably be more successful in the profession if you're an extrovert. So where and how was that feedback not given to somebody earlier in their career so that they could think about perhaps some better career choices or maybe ones that would have fewer obstacles for them to get where they need to go. So part of that is we need tools out there. Part of that is, again, this goes back to, we need to figure out how to know ourselves and how to self-reflect and, and really know our personalities and our strengths and weaknesses and positives and dark sides and everything. Um, and that's a huge gap, right? We just think about what am I passionate about? And that's a separate process, but that doesn't mean you're cut out for it, right? Thank you. Thank you very much for that advice. I'll definitely be taking that um, to heart and I hope a lot of other people do too. And I believe the clock has officially run out. So okay. I want to thank you very, very much for coming on. And I've listened to everything you've had to say and it's very interesting and very um very thoughtful advice that I'll definitely be taking into heart and I hope all of the listeners do too. Well, thanks so much for having me. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and again, thank you very, very, very much for tuning in. You can send me your thoughts about this episode and any advice to my email in the description below. Last but not least, please don't forget to share with someone you love and subscribe on whichever platform you listen on. Thank you.